0: You are listening to the Talking Books
1: podcast, a podcast dedicated to the true statement that leaders are readers. We hope you enjoy it and find the discussion helpful as you learn and develop as a leader. Why not join the discussion by visiting carltoncommunitychurch.com
0: forward slash talking books and click join the discussion below the podcast episode. We would love to hear from you.
1: Hello and welcome to our third episode of Talking Books. Uh, Today we're going to discuss the second chapter of the book that we're reading at the moment, which is Leadership Pain by Samuel Chand. And uh, there's quite challenging references in this book and in this chapter, things that have been challenging for both John and I, and hopefully for you as well, and also some very real truths. So I'm going to hand over to John, who's going to talk a little bit about what he got out of this chapter, and maybe just give us a quick overview. Uh, so, John, over to you.
0: Hi, Wes. Good morning, and good morning to you who listen as well. We're so delighted that you can join us today. This chapter, chapter two, is entitled External Challenges, and they all come to us, Ah, they come to us all. And I reading this chapter a few times in the last week or so. It brought home to me... One is that, as the writer talks of external challenges, which bring internal stresses. I think for all of us, uh, the challenges that come into our lives create stress, difficulty, can dominate our thinking, and it's how we handle these stresses. Now, not all stress is bad. Some stress is good. And the the writer samuel in this chapter looks at some of the sources of where these external challenges come from and reading it it you can just see the lights going on or little clicks in your mind thinking oh yes and so some years ago i heard somebody talk about rogue waves now i'm not a sailor although i've travelled on a boat a few times but to a sailor rogue waves are large unexpected and suddenly appearing surface waves that can be extremely dangerous even to large ships such as ocean liners rogue waves present considerable danger for several reasons they are rare unpredictable may appear suddenly or without warning and and can impact with tremendous force. And what this guy who was a sailor was saying is, it's not the normal waves that go on every day that bothers uh, sailors, but it's the rogue waves. And I read again this morning as I was just thinking about coming in to do our podcast, rogue waves, called extreme storm waves by scientists, are those waves which are greater than twice the size of surrounding waves. They are very often unpredictable and often come unexpectedly from directions other than prevailing wind and waves. Most reports of extreme storm waves or rogue waves say they're like walls of water. They're often steep-sided with unusually deep troughs. I've never experienced one of those rogue waves, but in the sense of Uh, in the literal sense but there are times in life when the normal waves are superseded by rogue waves and I think this is what Samuel Chand is talking about in his book external challenges because we have challenges all the time but it's those things that are have the potential to capsize us in our faith. I was often encouraged by this passage of Paul when he said and this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, We want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. That was a rogue way for Paul.
1: Yeah.
0: Such a situation, because he was used to being chased and whipped and left for dead. But what happened to them there was one of those rogue waves. Didn't expect it. It came from not the direction they were expecting it. And uh, if they had the ability to M- SMS in those days, they'd have been sending their texts to their loved ones, yeah. saying, you know what? We may never see you again, but we love you. Yeah. But so they had them. In fa- instead, he says, in fact, we expected to die. My word. That's a rogue wave. That is, yeah. That's a rogue wave. But as a result... We stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. What a fantastic attitude to those external challenges and how you deal with them.
1: Yeah, it's very true. And, uh, you know, I think that's the whole point of the book as well. You know, it's called Leadership Pain for a Reason. And that's the aspect of if you're in leadership, there's going to be an element of pain. There are going to be times where you are going to have rogue waves and you're going to have to deal with them. You're going to have to go through them and you're going to have to deal with the aftermath of them as well. And I think this chapter is all about not letting those rogue waves um, cause internal stress that causes permanent damage. Um, And I think, you know, you've got to go through pain, and pain's never easy to go through, ever. Um, But it's more about what happens after you go through that pain. Do you hold a grudge? Do you hold on to it? Do you get bitter? Mm -hmm. Or do you you go through it, learn from it, and then become better for it? And I think that's what the purpose of this chapter is, really, isn't it?
0: It is, and I like it as well, Wes, that he gives... A couple of examples and I think it's great how every chapter starts with some stories yeah. some real life stories illustrate the point and the first one he talks uh, regarding a pastor who started the church six years before their rogue wave hit them They mm-hmm. started with 27 people in the living room of their house it had grown to two and a half thousand people every weekend and they were excited about what God was doing and in fact they went out and uh, they purchased some land to build a great auditorium.
1: Yeah.
0: And then the the downturn came. The rogue wave of property decreased values came. And he mentions here the land they'd purchased for four point five million dollars was now worth only eight hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. That's a
1: massive loss. That's a massive loss. decrease.
0: And um, on the land and the building, they owed eight million, but they were valued only at 2.4 million. That's you know. That is negative equity. And a lot of people in our society, sadly, with a downturn in property prices, are living with negative equity. And he talks about, in that dark time, when that wave hit them, because the, the bank was talking about taking them to court, suing them, um, the bank wouldn't accept any payments, no scheduled payments, they, and then they I hired a barrister, or an attorney in America, as they call them, and the attorney says, they're coming after you personally as well. Yeah. Which kind of damaged his health, began to panic, the wave began to overtake him. But he talks in here... That in such a time, he says this, We kept on worshipping and leading programs. Mm -hmm. That was our mission, and that was our joy. But behind the doors of our offices, I felt the crushing pressure of trying to hold the church together. Mm -hmm. I often felt overwhelmed, but these heartaches turned into the most tender and intimate times with the Lord. The psalmist poured out their hearts to the Lord, and so did I. In the middle of the night, when I couldn't sleep, I wept and prayed, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. That's a quote from Psalm 42, verse 5. Yeah. And I need to cut a long story short God came to their aid. Someone gave them a, a massive gift, the bank, that's financial gift, the bank. I uh, came back to the attorney and said, "Look, let's try and sort something out." And also, this person who gave him a financial gift towards this land and building to for the bank also gave him uh, an interest-free loan.
1: Yeah.
0: But that's that's the end of the story. Yeah. But it's the way to hits you at the beginning.
1: Yeah.
0: But and as he goes on in this book, this guy talks about in all those situations, and in particular his downturn in property and the, the massive debt that the church owed, it turned them to God.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's what sustained him. And if you're going through such a time today, as you listen to this podcast, and a rogue wave has come out of the blue, not from the direction you were expecting it, I want to encourage you today to be like this pastor who went through this deep, deep, disturbing experience he found us hope in God.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's not an instantaneous process. It's not like God came to the aid of this pastor straight away. No. Um, it was this series of months that this went on through uh, for. It was, a, uh, it was quite a long time, um, quite devastating for him. Um, but I like in this story that there is almost a sense of instantaneous bit towards here where it says months later a church's attorney came to me meet with me um, and my executive team he said it's over we've lost you need to stop paying me and you need to move on he said that and then two paragraphs later it goes within 24 hours of the attorney coming to him he says the attorney called him again he said Benny you must believe in miracles because it looks like you're going to get one yeah and, you know, they've been going through this process for a month. The attorney had given up. He would said, we've yeah. lost, stop paying me, that's it now, finished. And um, twenty within 24 hours, the attorney called back again and said, well, you must believe in miracles because you're getting one. Yeah, that's and then um, the whole situation was then yeah. um, sorted out shortly after that. That miracle was the bank offering a deal after being so um, adamant that they weren't going to mm-hmm. offer any sort of deal. And then obviously this person then gave him a large sum of money and the rest as an interest-free loan, which then saw them through that situation. Um, But yeah, very challenging.
0: Very challenging and yet very encouraging. And it's it's that bit in the middle, isn't it, of where you don't know what's going to happen. It's an external challenge. It's not your making. It's not your doing. You have no control over it. It just hits you when you're not expecting it to hit you. Uh, it's in that place that he talks here about you gotta keep on doing what's right.
1: Yeah.
0: And he makes a couple of comments about those two times. Uh, sorry, a couple of comments about that difficult time. He says, The most important lesson I learned through all this is a necessity of utter abandonment to the faithfulness of God and the purposes of God. I had talked about trusting God for many years. But now I had a new understanding of what it means to put everything into his hands. And I think the next point is also very important for us and for you as well. I've also learned to hire the very best professionals we can afford when we need them. And what he's really saying is we didn't go for the cheap options to try and get professional help. We went for the best. Hiring the right attorney was very important his expertise gave me a sense of peace he was a gift from God and I remember when my wife Kathy was ill she was diagnosed with cancer and we went to see a consultant we went to pay privately we went privately and paid we went for two sessions and I say to people that although nothing changed in the diagnosis we sat down with someone who was an expert in their field. And he didn't rush us. And he talked to us in very clear, very practical terms. That put our hearts at peace. And it was worth paying the money. Uh, and I would recommend people to do that. Just get some professional advice.
1: Yeah,
0: And then he goes on to say, During this painful season of testing, I reassured my staff and the people in our church that the mission of our church had never been about land or buildings, but about people. Hearts and souls matter more than anything tangible. God was going to get us through it so that people were protected and blessed. And he did. And I put in my little notes here, as I put, you know, what? in those rogue wave times, it's important to refocus. Mm. And I think that's what they do. They get us back to our real values.
1: Yeah. I like this paragraph here where the miracle happened and then he just said, I shouted, screamed and yelled praises to God. I was astonished but the Lord whispered, Son, I have people all over the world. Yeah. I'm not limited by time, space or culture. I trusted God a little and he came through a lot. Hmm. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. It's amazing. And he'll do the same for for all of us. All of us. He's always there. You know, the Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And um, I think that's very true and in this story it showed quite a lot um so that's the intro story and then moving on he starts to talk about people doesn't he and he mentions a phrase um that bob marley said where it says truth is everybody is yeah. going to hurt you you just got to find the ones who are worth suffering for what a great pearl of wisdom that is <laughs> i read that a few notes. that's true yeah very true and uh then he moves on and talks about devils all around you. Yeah. Now, I found that... I don't know about you, but I found that very, uh, very very challenging and very interesting mm-hmm. as well. And I wonder if it's, you know, for other leaders and people who are listening, I wonder if his statement where 10% of your congregation will be devils, as he put it, and will stir trouble, will cause trouble, and the other 90% will be on your side. I wonder if you find that true for yourself as well.
0: I've
1: never... I mean, when I
0: read this, I thought that's interesting. Just looking in our context, I, I wouldn't say that we would have ten percent devils in our church. That's my personal reflection. Maybe I've got my head in the ground. I don't know, but
1: I wouldn't say. Yeah. That. I don't know how you feel about that, but uh, to be honest, I've never gone. <laughs> yeah. I've never gone into a church and looked to be like, okay, you know, that person's a devil. That person's a devil. That person's a yeah. devil. Um. I've never really until this book I never really thought about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I thought about that and I thought,
1: I think issues arise sometimes, oh, of don't they? they do. And then you deal with them. And yeah. I don't know, in my experience I find that sometimes people have moments but they're not always causing trouble. They just no. cause trouble every now and again. Every now and again, yeah. They um, say something or Or they make a looks... mistake or they say yeah. something that's not necessarily yeah. good. But yeah, I found it very interesting. He talks about
0: uh, some of the sources of external challenges. He talks about the pastor's personal financial strains. And he makes a comment here that some of the challenges pastors face come from the public perceptions of their role. The vast majority of parishioners consider their pastors and staff members to be quote unquote call all day and every day. And he says that the stress of being always... On call puts pastors in the high risk category for life insurance, similar to loggers, but ahead of munitions workers. I know that uh, he talks in about the financial pressures, and he gives some examples. He talks about when he went to pastor the church. Their income was very, very poor, and their first daughter was born, and uh, she had eczema and was allergic to milk, which meant they had to go and buy. I think it was goat's milk, Mm. which really ate in to their very small budget and how that was a very difficult time for them. And I know that people who are pioneering churches, starting from scratch, they have to work. And also, when I say work, I mean work in what we would call a secular sense. That doesn't mean it's any less spiritual. But also, they have to work at that and then work at the church. Mm. Uh, or some of them take a step of faith. And start with nothing and trust the Lord. But that does bring its stresses. And I think in our modern world, financial stress is big, big, big. I mean, it's more costly to live. People have bigger expectations. And that brings stress.
1: Well, I know some of the older congregation in our church told me how they bought their first house for £5,000 yeah. or something like that. And now you're looking at way over 100000 in order to buy houses, yeah. I suppose that's natural inflation. But it's a uh, things are definitely a lot more expensive now.
0: Oh, by the way, he talks in there about going to take over churches that have had difficult issues. But I found that over a period of five years of working hard, praying hard, seeking God, reaching out to people, is that God can bring you during those five years a whole new set of people who begin to have your mind begin to have your heart and what was the majority of old thinking now becomes the minority and the majority becomes people who've been born again in your church or come be part of your fellowship Mm -hmm. who haven't got the history other people have and I want to encourage you if you're listening today that just stick at it. Give yourself five years And see what God does. So here are some of the common causes (coughs) which Samuel sees as external challenges. And we're going to have to fly through these because our time's almost gone. Criticism. Leaders do get criticized. If they're visionaries, they're criticized for not being patient or valuing traditions or not caring for those who are hurting. If they're devoted to the sick and make many hospital calls, they're criticised for not being in the office enough to manage projects or failing to chart a bold path for the future. If their gifts are administrative, they're criticised for not being a great speaker. The point is clear, he says. No matter what your gifts and style may be, no matter how much you pour your heart into people, and no matter how much time you devote to your ministry, you'll face criticism. And I think of Nehemiah, who's doing this great project, turning 80 years of history around, and he was criticised that what they were doing, even if a fox ran over it, the wall would fall down. Yeah. And there are, sadly, there are some people like that.
1: I think, for me as well, I've come to realise that it also comes down to personal taste. Like, yeah, I was true. having this conversation with my worship team um, the other night, and we were talking about how... Some people think that the worship's too long. Other people think that the message is too long. And, you know, other people would have a whole night of worship and a five-minute message. And other people would have a whole night of teaching and five-minute worship. It just comes down to personal preference. And That's people exactly. connect with Jesus and connect with God in different ways. And so yeah. I think a lot of criticism comes out of that. I think a lot of criticism comes out of personal preference. And I think sometimes there's no right or wrong way Um but people have their personal preferences.
0: Yeah, and of course you cannot please all people all the time. And then he goes on to the next uh, source or cause of external challenge is betrayal. If you lead long enough, you'll never really re the deep wounds of betrayal, and that's true. Jesus experienced it. Yeah. But he had a lot of people who loved him, cared for him. And then he goes on to talk about the complexity of the job. And he says this, which I think is very true. A major challenge for modern pastors is the sheer complexity of the job. And I, the next comment is definitely very, very true. A generation or two ago, the pastor's role was to prepare sermons each week, shepherd the flock, and keep things running smoothly. That wasn't too hard when there were only a few cogs in the machine. Today... Even in small churches, the machine is very complicated. Every magazine, every conference, and every blog has new, innovative ideas. It's impossible to keep up. Uh, In an article called, Eight Reasons Why Pastor Failed, Joseph Matera's first reason that churches are becoming complex enterprises
1: which pastors are not equipped to lead.
0: That's very true. That's very
1: true. Yeah, very true. I remember having a conversation with our accountant the other day, David, and he spoke to me about how when he first started doing the accounts for the church, it was all very simple, but now there's so many laws and things that have come into it that it's become a lot more complicated and the job has become much bigger even Mm -hmm. for him. And the reality is as pastors, even though we've got David doing our finances, we still need to know what what's going on. We still have to know the laws, we still have to know. Um, and he talks about real estate, zoning laws as well, yeah. bank financing for new buildings and expansions, all these things that we have to know as mm. pastors when, if you look at the Bible, they never had to deal with any of that, really. Um, um,
0: that's true, Wes, and I think I found, because I'm, I'm over 40, and he makes here about the complexity of the job, leaders who are over 40 years old need to learn a new language and culture. That's true. Yeah, people talk differently. Well, you young people talk differently. Uh, look at things differently. they live in a different
1: world. Yeah, and then he ends up talking about just after that he speaks about postmodernism. Yeah, and how old style apologetics don't connect with the minds of, of mm. and hearts of the younger audience. And um, I actually spent a little bit of time looking at postmodernism and right. what I've discovered is. Um that the biggest aspect of postmodernism is skepticism,
0: yeah,
1: and how anything that can't be proven can't be true and until mm-hmm. until it's proven it's not true and I think that makes our lives as Christians trying to bring people into the kingdom of God um, and as leaders trying to bring people into the kingdom of God and shepherd people in um very difficult because you can't prove beyond doubt, without them having a conviction from the Holy Spirit themselves that Christianity is the only way. There's no physical proof that Jesus yeah. is who he says he is. It's true. Um, and that comes down to faith and conviction. But with this post-modernism culture, um, that becomes very difficult.
0: Because a lot of people have no idea of God. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up as a Catholic... Uh, and I had a basic understanding of who he was, and a lot of people in my in my generation would have a basic, if you talk about God and Christ and the cross, they well. They'd know something about it, yeah. but the younger yeah. generation, no idea about him whatsoever.
1: Yeah, it's very true.
0: But also, as I thought, because you were quite animated uh, um, when you came to my office last week about how do we motivate those in the church. Mm. Uh, and he makes a comment here and, and I think this is true because people's lives are so busy and I'm talking about Christians particularly and so many demands on their time and uh, at the click of a button they have access to the best pr- preachers and teachers around the world uh, they can they they've got the kids are involved in all sorts of sports which now, many of them take place on Sunday so there's massive challenges yeah And then he talks about, and those who come to church are often so distracted by other things that they do little more than show up a time or two a month to check, quote unquote, spirituality or church attendance off their list of good things to do. And they used to say years ago when I first went into ministry, if you wanted to find, if people were looking for a new church, they need to go three or four Sundays and find out, and they get a good feel of the church. But nowadays, people are so infrequent that when you go to a church, half the church could be missing. Yeah, And so you, you've got to go longer before you get a proper yeah or a deeper understanding of the church. And I think these are all challenges that can bring pressure.
1: I think one of the hardest things for me um, as well, and one of the most challenging, is people's preconception mm-hmm. of church and of leaders. And he writes here, it means many of the people Christian leaders Leaders are trying to reach in the community begin with a negative bias against God, against the church, and against the pastor. And those who come to church are often so distracted by other things that they do little more than show up a time or two a month to check spirituality or church attendance off their list of good things to do. Um, Bible believers churches, less than 25% of those attending are involved in any groups or studies beyond the Sunday morning services. And he suspects the numbers are actually lower, um, and that is Richard Kredge-Kirs. I don't know if I pronounced that right. But I wouldn't know, where
0: <laughs> but it, it looks difficult to pronounce.
1: That's his research, anyway. He's found that less than 25% of those attending are involved in any groups or studies beyond the Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And we've been having this conversation yeah. as well, haven't we, in our uh, team meetings and things, mm-hmm. talking about how we can get people in church, in the congregation, more than just Sunday morning. Sunday mornings, mornings yeah.
0: When I read that I kind of encouraged me really that it, the problem isn't just ours. Yeah. It's it's everyone's. Yeah. And I don't know about you sometimes I laugh at twenty five past ten you like I think you said to me the other week, Where's well, everybody? Yeah. But but by the time half ten came or half past we ten came, we were full. <laughs> yeah. And it's just it so true. listen, our time is gone, but if you're um, reading the book, I think limited by team members is a very good point and then unreasonable rules people place too much or have rules for us that we can fulfill some of that is is due to tradition and biasness so well i know we've gone on a bit this morning and um but it's been great having you with us and it just hopefully we can just get you thinking and um stimulate your your ability and your courage and your determination about handling external pressures and dealing with the internal pressures which they bring
1: yeah and don't forget to join the discussion at carltoncommunitychurch.com forward slash talking books find this episode and then click the button that takes you to the discussion page we'd love to hear your thoughts and your opinions and your stories as well and next week we'll be talking about the third chapter which is too much too often um, so make sure you read that this week and then we'd love to discuss that with you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Books. We hope you found it helpful
0: and encouraging. For more information or to leave a comment and join the Talking Books discussion, please visit com forward slash talkingbooks.